of a seat, and if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible up to Mark chapter 7. We are in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter, and we'll read the first 13 verses. So if you have your Bibles, Mark 7, verse 1 to 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they, do, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join with me in prayer? Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and that today we are not dependent on the words of any man not on our own thoughts about you, not on our pastor's thoughts about you, and not on our culture's thoughts about you, but your own words. And Father, we pray that you would bless us through the preaching of your word today, that it would be the announcing of your word and of your gospel. We pray that you would restrict me to say only things that come from your word, and that all of our hearts would be inclined, tuned to hear your word and be shaped by them. We pray that you would treat us as your children, and you as the good shepherd would treat us as your sheep. Lead us, guide us, comfort us, warn us, build us up by the preaching of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it that God's laws will sometimes clash with the laws that are made by humans? Or perhaps what a society would say is the mark of a good person sometimes clashes with God's own laws in Scripture. Why does it happen that churches which say they love Jesus sometimes simply ignore some of God's clear commands? And why is it that we, Christians, often find some of God's commands very difficult to do, and even when we do keep them, we do not find these commands lovely? This is part of what God's word here is trying to show us and shepherd us away from this problem by exposing the problem that we would run to Christ for the solution to this problem. 
Now, we have a number of kids here with us today, and we're very grateful for those kids. And I expect that there's going to be some things that the kids will not understand. You're not going to understand or remember everything, and that's fine. You will remember and understand the most important parts. So you will be able to retell this story later. All of you kids can retell the story. And here is the story. Jesus had just healed many, many people. You remember from last week, if you were here, Jesus had just healed a whole bunch of people. He had healed many people of every kind of sickness. Anybody who brought somebody to him that was sick, Jesus healed that person. And Jesus had all kinds of people brought to him, people from the cities, people from the towns, people from the countryside. You remember that? Every type of person was brought to him, and he healed all of their diseases. So he was proving that he was God. And then the Pharisees, the leaders of the church, they saw this, and instead of worshiping God and saying, worshiping Jesus, say, you're God, you're the rescuer. They tried to find something they didn't like about him. And they noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't obey the extra laws, the extra laws about God that they were actually not in the Bible, the laws that they made up. And they were upset about, Je- about this. Jesus' disciples didn't keep these extra laws. And these laws were that they had made a special hand-washing ceremony that they made up. In fact, it was like they baptized their hands before they would eat. It was a special religious washing, like a special ceremony. They would do this before they would eat, and they would have to do this after being with regular people. We must baptize our hands because we're unclean being with regular, ordinary people. And so, they rejected Jesus because he broke the extra laws about God that were not even in the Bible. And so Jesus tells these people, that's exactly what Isaiah said you would do. That's exactly what Isaiah said that you are doing. And that's what Isaiah said, is that these people say they love me. They worship me with their lips. Oh, they're going to sing the songs, but they don't love me. In their hearts, they don't believe that I'm good. But they do want me to do good things for them. They just don't love me. And one of the ways Isaiah said, and and, uh, uh, Kevin read for this for us, Mr. Versake read this for us, One of the things, one of the ways they show that they don't actually love God is by making up new rules about God that aren't in the Bible. And then they make people choose between the rules that God did make and the rules that they made. And then Jesus gives these people an example of how they did it. Here's a main way that they did it. They made a a new law about giving money to the temple and giving money to the leaders of the church. Now, God already had a law in the Bible about this, but it's one that worked really well with his laws about loving your family. But the leaders made a new law that if the people obeyed this new law, that's not in the Bible, they'd have to break God's laws about taking care of their parents when their parents got really old or their grandparents, and they they were so old they couldn't take care of themselves anymore. So you see what happened? The Pharisees made a new law about giving money to the temple that if the people obeyed this law, they would have to break God's law about taking care of old people, their 
parents and their grandparents. And Jesus said, this shows that you didn't really love God. By making a rule that God never made and then having to choose between that. So that's the story. You guys can remember the story. Children can remember the story as well as the older people. Here are the three main things that you're going to remember about this this part of the Bible. Okay, you ready? If you're taking notes, this is a good time. God's laws, they show us things about God that are wonderful. And obeying God's law is a way that we imitate and actually enjoy God. God's laws show us good things about God. The second thing is that it's very normal and very dangerous to make up laws that are against God's laws. It's very normal and it's very dangerous to make up laws about God that are not in the Bible. That's the second thing. The third thing is that our hearts are pretty sinful and we don't love God the way we should. But Jesus came to rescue us from this problem. He came to rescue us so that we would actually be able to enjoy and worship God and love his laws even. All right, so those are the the summary of it. Our first point, as we've already seen, is the law of God is a delight in him. The law of God is a delight in him. God made us to glorify and enjoy him forever, right? That's the first question and answer of the Westminster Confession or Catechism. The chief aim of man is to glorify and enjoy God forever. And God's law is a description of that enjoyment. Well, what does it mean to live in a way that honors and glorifies God? And God gives us his law. You can think about his law, the Ten Commandments. You can think about his law as a description of what God would look like if he was a man. And we know, of course, God did one day become a man, and that was the Lord Jesus. His law is his character. So when you want to know what is God like, you can look at his laws. And the first sin that humanity, that humans, Adam and Eve, committed was to find something that is to treat something as honorable that God said was very dishonorable. To treat God as less than good, to be treating God as less than satisfying, generous, kind, wise, and just. When the Bible tells Christians to be holy, what is the second thing that happens? He says, be holy because what? Be holy for I am holy. God tells us this when he tells us to keep his commandments. In Leviticus 19, we have a summary of the commandments, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. The other summary of the commandments would be to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he begins this by saying, be holy because I am holy. And what we see here very clearly is that God's laws are a description of his, his own holiness and his own character In a way, God is saying, this is who I am. These are things about my character that you can know. God's laws are not just a set of rules that God just randomly picked. No, these laws are things that fit with his character. They fit with his personality. They're a description of who he is. 
And so they're not just a list of rules that we can follow while ignoring God and while not loving Him or caring about Him. Even, you see the Ten Commandments is often split into two groups. The first set is those things about how to love God. And the second set is about how to treat people, right? You're supposed to not murder. You're supposed to honor your mother and father. You're supposed to not commit adultery. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to lie. And you're not supposed to covet things that belong to your neighbors. Even that part of the Bible is actually a way that we can learn about God's character and actually enjoy God's character. For instance, he says we're to honor our mother and father. Remember, that's a, that's a commandment that God gives. Well, one of the things what we realize is that in keeping this commandment, we see how lovely it is that God would give parents. That he designs us in such a way, way that we're not just random people all together with random people. No, he gives moms and dads. And moms and dads, fathers and mothers, are authorities. They are people in our lives, especially when we're younger, who have authority over us. They can tell us what to do. And we can see that's actually a really good thing. And how does it show us God's character? The Bible talks about God as being the father of the church. That he is the authority of the church. Not only does he provide for us like a father, he also has authority over us. And we get to see how lovely it is. And so when we even look at this commandment, we see how lovely God's character is. Oh, isn't it great that God's not just our friend? He's not just our sibling. It is good that God is our Father. And so we can see the character of God in this. We see God as a Father. We also know that God is a Son. And we get to see Jesus' relationship with God the Father, and we get to see this as lovely. We also see there's a commandment that forbids us from killing people. Is this just a rule that God made? You know, I'm going to make life harder for them by making it wrong for them to kill people. That's not true. This shows God's character. How does the law of God that says, you shall not murder, how does that show God's character? Well, we see that God is the lover of life. God is the hater of death. God loves the lives of people. God is the source of life. He is the author of life. And when God commands us to honor the lives of other people, we get to see, oh, this shows us God's character. Isn't it lovely that we have a God who loves life? It's not hard to look in the news and in world history to find a ruler who does not care about the life of other people. We see men who take their people to war without regard for the lives of their soldiers, without regard for the lives of their citizens, who are completely careless about other people's lives. Dear church, isn't it wonderful that we know our God is not that kind of God? He loves life. The commandments say that you shall not commit adultery. A man shall not have marriage relationships with a woman unless they are married. 
And a man should be faithful to his wife for as long as they both shall live. You shall not commit adultery. What does this show about God's character? How is keeping this commandment a way of imitating and enjoying God's character? We see that God is a lover of covenant. He loves having people in a covenant that he swears with them. I will never break this covenant. You will be mine and I will be yours. You're going to sin, you're going to fall short, but I'm yours and you're mine and you'll never not be. Isn't that lovely that God has that relationship with the church? Imagine if God had a relationship with the church that as soon as she started to fail, he'd be like, I'm finding someone new. Oh, God is a covenant God. He is a perfect husband to the church. And so when we see that God commands us to be faithful in marriages, we see that this is a way that we can enjoy God's character. It's a way for us to worship God and to enjoy who he is. God is a husband to the church. The Lord Jesus is God who became a man. It's also helpful for us to realize that God, at one point, was an unmarried man. Jesus was an unmarried man who honored the marriages of everyone around him by not trying to wreck them, not trying to make uh, um, uh, women jealous and, and, and try to separate them from their husbands. No, God is a God who loves covenant. He's a God who loves marriage. He's a, he's a God who loves swearing oaths to people, oaths of love. I will love you and I will always love you. And he's a God who loves to keep that. We, we, uh, we, we said in our, the opening to the service that we are to praise the Lord because he is good and his steadfast love, his covenant love endures for how long? Forever. And we see that God's commandment about not committing adultery is a way that we get to enjoy this part of God's character and imitate it as well. We're also not supposed to steal. You shall not steal, says the commandments. What do we learn from here about God's character? God is a worker. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and, that all, and the sky and all that is in them. God is a worker. God even now is sustaining every single thing. In Colossians 1, we learn that the universe was made by the word of Christ's power and he is upholding it. Everything holds together because God is currently putting his, his care into holding it together. God is a worker and he's eager to produce things for other people. And God is a gift giver. Everything that you have ever had, God gave to you. The air that you and I are breathing right now, the hearts in our chests beating, every sunset that we've seen, every beautiful bit of warmth coming from the sun on a cold day, every cool breeze on a hot day, everything you've ever eaten, every lovely bit of music that you've heard and enjoyed, God is a good giver of good things. God does not take things away from people in that way. God doesn't take things that belong to other people. And one of the ways when the Bible says you shall not steal, what we do is we're enjoying God's character, saying everything that God gives me, I will receive with joy. But if he hasn't given me something, I'm not taking it away from someone else. 
I'm going to enjoy God as the gift giver. We're forbidden from lying from each other as well, right? You shall not bear false witness. You're not supposed to lie. How does this help us to enjoy God's character and know God's character? Because God doesn't lie. God is truth. He is a lover of truth. He's honest and true. You know, you never have to worry about whether God is going to change his mind. God is never going to mislead you in order to get something from you. God is true and his word never changes. It is a lovely gift that God gives us to know that we can trust him. And it is a lovely gift that we give to each other by showing each other that we can be trusted. Isn't it a wonderful gift to think about the people in your life that you know you can trust? Isn't that a wonderful gift that they have given to you? To be able to be honest with you and to work diligently so that you can trust them. And this is a way that we obey and honor God's character. We could go on. And so just to keep the commandments by saying, okay, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to lie, but hate the commandment is not honoring God with your heart. And this is what Isaiah was saying and what Jesus is saying. The commandments are not just there for us to like outwardly obey them. They are, but they are more than that. Ways for us to enjoy God's character, to love him by even loving his heart. I wonder if you notice here, uh, both Isaiah and Jesus, in verse, look at verse, uh, in verse 6. These people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Sometimes we think about this in terms of the things we do versus the things we think, right? And he says it's actually deeper than that. It's the things we do versus the things we love. That we can say things about God, we can even think some things about God that are true, but the question is, are we honoring God with our hearts? Brothers and sisters, this is a reminder that we are to delight in God through these descriptions of his character. To see the commandments as a way to enjoy God's character. To love those qualities because they are qualities of God himself. And see that he's the source of these qualities and he is the epitome of these qualities. Dear brothers and sisters, we need to remember not to ignore the point of these laws. What's the point of these laws? What's the spirit behind the letter of these laws? We were not created to merely do things in obedience to God, but to glorify Him and enjoy Him as we do these things. And you know, the world is going to encourage us to see God's laws as burdensome and not as praiseworthy. Because they find God's character as detestable. The reason the world hates God's laws and is going to encourage us to say, hey, those are bad laws, is because they don't love God's character. They find God detestable. And it's a very dangerous thing to agree with them. Yes, God's laws are detestable, but I'm going to keep them because I don't want him to be mad at me. No, reject that. Rebel against that and say, no, Whatever God says about himself and his law, I'm going to love because it is, in fact, praiseworthy. It takes us to our second point. 
Because obviously we've got a problem here. So that's true, and it sets up the problem. And the second, the, the second thing here we see is beware of your preference for man-made laws. Beware of your preference, not the Pharisee's preference, not your neighbor's preference, but your preference. Beware of your own preference for man-made laws. How did the Pharisees find themselves in the foolish position of being people who claim to love God while disobeying His commandments? Because <laughs> they were disobeying His commandments to love their mom and dad and to honor them, right? How is it that they got into this crazy, silly thing where they're the ones who love the Lord the most and they're clearly just openly disobeying God's commandments? And this is what God says here is they added more commandments. Jesus says this, Isaiah says this as well. Uh, and uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah in verse 7. He says, in vain do they worship me. How does this happen? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And here's the example. So the commandment was to honor your father and your mother, not just while you're young, but even when you are old and they are old, we're to honor our father and mother. And the way they got around this is they created this rule called korban, which means it's dedicated or reserved for God. Kind of, it's kind of like a frozen asset, if you understand uh, economic, e economics. So it's like a frozen asset. It's something that you can't get rid of it's like adding something to your will, like, like putting something in your will. This belongs to the temple or this belongs to the church. But you can use it until you die. It's great. I'm very generous. I've given something that I don't really have to give until after I die, okay? So you can use it, though. That was, this thing was not in the law of God. It was added by the religious leaders, and what was happening is they were kind of using it not as a tax shelter. You know what a tax shelter is, right? Some money or something that you put into a certain uh, account so that it can't be taxed and you're like safe from taxes. They were doing this as a love shelter. So I get to put all of these things that I have in this special shelter that I don't have to love my parents with. And they're saying, I I'd love to take care of my mom and dad, but oh, all of these things are Corbin. I mean, I can use them, but I can't sell them to take care of my parents. And the rulers of the leaders, the religious leaders, they, they kind of like this rule, right? Because they really benefited from it. They got all kinds of things, and this financed their salaries, and it financed the temple, and they didn't care. They cared very little about those elderly moms and dads. And so they were very happy to have all that money entrusted to them while the moms and dads with dementia starved to death or lived in great poverty. And they would have said, of course we obey the commandment. Uh, this commandment says, don't swear at your parents. And we're not swearing at our parents. This commandment says, don't hit your parents. And we haven't hit them. This commandment says, obey your parents when you're younger. And when, when we were young, we made sure that we obeyed our parents like good little boys and girls. Jesus said one of the most obvious ways, and Isaiah as well, one of those obvious ways that you will show that you do not actually love the God of the commandments is by making extra ones and teaching them as if they are God's own laws. Now, we have to make rules that are not in the Bible. So if you're a kid here and you saw the hand-washing thing, you were like, Mom and Dad, you can't tell me to wash my hands before I eat because 
Otherwise, you're just like the Pharisees. No, no, no. We need to make rules that are not in the Bible. We have to. Traffic laws, we have to decide which side of the street we're going to drive on. That can't be something we just go with on the fly. There has to be passport procedures. There's got to be bedtimes and budgets and chores. For instance, a church needs to pick which time they're going to meet on Sunday morning, and then we'll start eight minutes later than that. Church has to pick how many songs we're going to sing. But we need to make sure we realize that these are not conscience-binding. Jesus didn't say there's a problem with having commandments of men. He says you teach them as doctrines. That's the problem. These are the laws of men that are not God's laws. God doesn't set a bedtime, but he gives you a mom and dad and they're to give you a bedtime. And we must never believe that they're a good gauge of whether we love God or not. The thing is, you're going to make laws after your own heart. This is especially true if you're making religious laws. Essentially, what you're going to do is you're going to create a God in your own image. A God who loves exactly what you love and hates exactly what you hate. Rules that will control all the people around you to fit your character and your personality, to conform with you. Be like this because Derek is like this. We do not like that. It's a very big danger. We will create an idol in our own likeness. And having two sets of divine laws puts you in the position of having two masters. And what does Jesus say about having two masters? It won't work. You're going to love the one and you're going to hate the other one, which is exactly what happened with the Pharisees. They thought, no, 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 we have these extra laws because God's laws are not enough. And no, 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 we can do this while loving God. And here's what happens. God shows up in flesh and they kill him. And they disobey his commandments. Now, of course, as I said, this is not something that just the Pharisees will struggle with. This is not something just that your non-Christian neighbors will struggle with. This is something that we do as well. We often make principles. A good man always does such and such. A good woman always does such and such. We kind of make unbiblical proverbs, and it's fine. I mean, some of those things are, are fine to do. But often we let these things interfere with things that would, we would have to obey God for. So, for instance, a man should not want his children to become soft. True, yeah? And so, I'm going to be unkind to my children. See how I did that? Here's this lovely principle, this proverb, and then in order to keep that rule I just made, I'm going to break the one that God made, which says, be kind, even to your children. Or on the opposite side, children should be, uh, feel free to make all of their own choices. You see, this is actually coming in our, in our culture quite a bit. You must, this is a rule. This is, you're a bad person unless you do this. And then you find parents are disobeying all the commands of God that say you're supposed to exercise authority and discernment in your child's life when they are not able to make wise decisions. You make them for them. You choose who they hang out with and the things that they do. But again, how do we get to this point? Because we made up a rule, not in Scripture, and then we end up disobeying God's own. And the problem with this one in particular is that we end up putting this on God too, and we get upset at God. Doesn't he know that fathers are supposed to let their children do whatever? And Why is he not letting me do that? 
And we see that we end up creating a God in our own image. Another way that this is pretty common, even in conservative churches, is the phrase, my conscience is bound. And so what you do is you almost have your own little core band. I must do this. I have to do this because, well, my conscience is bound. You wouldn't want me going against my conscience, would you? And then, here's these commands that God has in his word. You're like, well, I'm sorry, I would keep those, but my conscience is bound from not doing them. Of course, we saw this quite a bit in COVID, didn't we? But dear friends, the Lord is the Lord of the conscience, and Scripture alone is to bind your conscience. You can't just make up your own God rules and say, I have to keep them. I thought of it. Over and over again, we do this. One must always be happy in his marriage. This is a principle. This is a command. I have to follow it. Therefore, I'm going to break God's command that says don't divorce your wife to find another, uh, find another woman. You see how this happens over and over and over again. Churches are not immune from this. Adding extra things for their people to do. Extra parts of the worship service. We'll have this added and this added and this added. And in the end, what we do is we're leading people to do things that God never told them to do. And wouldn't you know, we end up disobeying things that God actually did tell us to do. Our hearts are prone to this, dear brothers and sisters. This is why Isaiah was saying, by the way, you need a Savior. You will see that the fact that your heart often doesn't love God's commandments is evidence of your sin. And why would God want you to have evidence of your sin? Just to make you sad? No! God wants you to have evidence of your sin, that your sin is not just in your actions, but your own hearts. Why would God want you to know that you are a sinner? So that you can run to the Savior. So that you can run to Christ. And this is so lovely that this passage, which is pretty much, is very condemning for you and for me, this passage follows the passage where Jesus was healing people left, right, and center. There was no one he couldn't heal. And this is evidence for us, proof that God can rescue every type of sinner, especially people whose sin is primarily their own hearts. We don't love God's laws. Why? Because we don't love God as we ought to love. And that's our third point. Christ restores us to the law of God. The coming of Christ revealed this need. Now, the Pharisees had never seen anybody who keep God's law perfectly before, and so they thought, I'm pretty, I, this is probably the best anyone could do. This is basically perfect. Me, I'm the perfect one. And then Jesus comes, and he perfectly keeps God's commandments. He's obeying them with his words and his actions. Not only that, Jesus is obeying them with his heart. And now they look at him, and they're, I guess I'm not as perfect as I thought. Jesus shows us that we need to be rescued. And Jesus is also the rescuer. Jesus is not just the rescuer of us breaking God's laws with our words and with our hands, with our eyes. Jesus is the rescuer of us breaking God's laws with our hearts. Jesus came as a substitute. So when you see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, when you see him obeying everything that God said, 
when you see him loving the lives of the people around him, when you see him working, when you see him not stealing, when you see him telling only the truth, when you see him keeping and honoring the marriages of other people, when you see him only worshiping God and never worshiping idols, rather than just being crushed with how much that makes you a sinner, realize that what Jesus did, if you trust in him, counts as if you did it. His record, dear Christian, his record is applied to you. That's how God is going to receive you based on how Jesus kept the law. And he didn't keep it begrudgingly. He loved God's law. And not only that, Jesus went to the cross and Jesus was punished for your sins against God's law. He was punished not just for your sins against God's law that you committed with your hands or with your mouth or your eyes, but even the sins against God's law you've committed against your heart, those times when you didn't love God's law, when you didn't love God. Jesus received the punishment for all of those sins, so you, dear Christian, will never be punished for those sins because Christ already was. Jesus died and he did not stay dead. Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day. And the Bible teaches us that this means he is the one who gives you new life. It's not simply that he was punished for your sin and so you're forgiven. It is more than that. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new life. He writes God's laws on your hearts. Not simply that you know them, but now that you love them. And he is faithful and just each time, dear Christian, you realize, hey, it's not simply that I'm breaking this law that I love. I'm breaking God's law because right now I do not love that. I don't feel that, that, uh, that being honest is a lovely thing right now. So whenever you realize this sin in your heart, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive you of your sin, but to cleanse you of that unrighteousness. You can come to him for forgiveness and also for rescue, for new life, for a heart that is not just obeying God's law, even though I hate it, but loving God's law because it is a reflection of who God is. Dear Christians, Jesus saved us and we are saved by grace. Grace means that we will not be saved by us obeying God's law. This is what the Pharisees believed. And it's one of the reasons they killed Jesus. No, we are not saved by us keeping the law. We are saved by Jesus keeping the law. But he also saves us so that we can now keep God's law. We won't do it perfectly. But he trains us like a good father does to to keep the, the law of God and obey it more and more and more, to transform us. We're no longer enslaved to hating God's law. Now we are freed and made new with hearts that love God and His law. When Paul was teaching about how salvation is a gift that you can't earn, some of the people who he was teaching this said, well, that's going to make people really bad. And he says in Romans 3.31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We just don't say that we're saved by it.
1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 6 is a beautiful place to go to see this. My little children, this is John writing to the church. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means he, he took our punishment so that we get, we get only glory, his glory. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but who does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Dear church, let's conclude with these thoughts. Let us delight in God using his law. Let the law of God be a way for us to delight in him for his glory and for his pleasure. To delight in his character. To delight in what is actually beautiful rather than the thing that we think is beautiful. It is good because he is good. Second thing, dear church, let us do is to examine the religious arguments that you've heard or adopted which keep you from loving God and obeying his commandments. Which religious rules have you added to your life that actually prevent you from obeying God's laws? Oh, I need to do this in order to feel close to God. And also, if I'm doing that, I can't love my wife and my kids and my neighbor. Maybe examine all the social arguments that you've heard. Our culture has all kinds of rules that they've added. And some of them maybe that you've adopted as well. Well, you'd never tell somebody they don't want to hear. Examine these things. Why? So that we can feel guilty? No. So that we could run to the heart cleanser. We can run to the Savior from sins, even heart sins. Dear Christian, which of God's laws do you not love right now? Even while you're trying to keep those laws. You, you don't love those laws, but you're trying to keep them. Maybe, maybe it's God's commandment not to look at pornography. You don't love that commandment, but I'm going to fight against that. I'm going to keep it. What about church participation? I don't really like being part of the church. I don't like welcoming people. I don't singing with them. I don't like opening my home. I don't like doing these things, but I'm going to do it. What about the commandment to be generous? What the commandment to be kind? Dear Christian, it is a very dangerous thing to be keeping these commandments while not also seeing how they're lovely. Don't wait until you find they're lovely until you keep them. <laughs> Do them while seeing how these are lovely things. How lovely is it that you have a God who would make these commandments? And then do a thought experiment. What would God be like if he loved, if he didn't love this commandment and think, I don't want that God. Love the God of these commandments. And then, dear Christian, we should gaze on Christ who obeyed God's law, 
who bore the curse for us breaking the law and who restores our hearts to delight in God's character and his work and his attributes. Do not trust in the law to bring you to God. You will be condemned if you want God to treat you based on how well you've done the law. Don't do that. But trust Christ's obedience to the law. His death for your disobedience and his resurrection to give you new life. He promises that all who trust in Christ do have that life. You may not feel it right now. You might feel like I have that new life in me. You might feel so much like the old man or woman that you do not believe that. But this is a promise that God has made. All who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Let us then live as those who love God because he loved us first. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have such a perfect law. But we also are very thankful that we are not going to be judged by you based on how we've kept the law if we are in Christ. Thank you that you have given us Christ to rescue us from our sins. And to give us new hearts that love what is lovely, that honor you, honor you with our hearts. Father, we know that if Christ had not come, we would stand before you based on our obedience to your law, and we know that we would all, all be condemned to hell. Lord, I pray that each one of us here would look on Christ would see this beautiful gift of the gospel to be forgiven of our sins against the beautiful law of God and to be reconciled to God and also to his law. Father, forgive us when we break your law. Forgive us when our hearts are not inclined to honor you with our hearts. But Lord, don't just forgive us, also transform us that we would be people who love you and demonstrate that by loving your law and keeping it. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not yet trust in Christ, who maybe just doesn't care about your law or who thinks they're good enough at it to get saved, Lord, I pray that you would show them their sin so that they would see their Savior as lovely and give them the gift of faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let us respond.